This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 10, StabCon. Happy Easter, everyone. Hope you're playing lots of games. This is a short podcast about my experience at StabCon, hoping to give you some more information about the convention in general in case you want to turn up at a later time. So how did it go? Was it a success? And what games, new and old, did I get to play? Hello everyone, yes, it's the Easter holidays, a four-day weekend, what more can we ask for when we just need that little bit of a break off work? More gaming to come probably in the later part of this holiday, but for the next couple of days I'll probably be taking it easy, other than unboxing a few things and putting some games away like I needed to do anyway. Let's face it, I've had a pretty long week of gaming in the last seven or so days. I mean, there was StabCon, which the whole focus of this episode is about, and there's been at least two to three game clubs during the week as well, so maybe it's about time I took a couple of days break while I waited for some more postal services to arrive, but also for, you know, just to chill out a bit, I guess. Just a couple of updates to let you know of. Firstly, yes, of course, I know the video is taking its sweet time. I wish I could give you a deadline, but it's just a hard thing to do, especially when it's difficult to find the time to carry on with it. But it's still happening, all right? It will happen. I just, you've got to be patient with me. It's a hard job. I'm a noob at this. I really need the time to just get everything ready as much as I like. But it's going to happen. It will happen, I promise. Other than that, though, uh, future conventions coming up. Um, I will be at the UK Games Expo. I mean, let's face it, who in the UK won't be? And it's going to be a blast. I'm sure it will be. If it's anything like last year, as long as it doesn't get too big for its britches, it will be a success. So I do look forward to seeing a lot of you guys there in full press mode. And the other convention I want to talk about is a rather personal one. I run a Portsmouth Onboard Gaming Club, as some of you may know, and the idea with this is it's just a fortnightly board game club where everyone just meets up, plays games, and has a good time. Yeah, pretty much like every other one. And we run an annual convention every year, and I say convention in quote-unquote, it's more of a big gathering of friends. We hire out the same venue, which is the Royal British Legion down in Fratton, next to the Fratton train station in Portsmouth, UK, and we rent out for the whole day. We get the entire upper floor. But rather than just it simply being turn up and play games like our normal board game club, we throw on a few extra surprises. We have people like Games Quest come along to sell their wares. We've got uh, our chaps from Dice Portsmouth hopefully coming along to explain a bit more about how their sort of work to get their board game cafe set up is going. Rerun a few friendly tournaments such as Tumbling Dice and Seven Wonders. And this year I'm hoping to maybe run a Wits and Wagers game show, just a little fun quiz to, to to end the night. And it goes on for the whole day. It goes on from 10 o'clock in the morning all the way to 11 at night. And it's just a solid day of fun. Uh, two of my uh, co-hosts of the convention will bring a lot of their games to play. I usually bring a lot of mine in order to teach people. And just generally, I'll help to run the convention as well. So three of us will be there to probably do that. Myself, uh, Hannah, and Ed. You know, us three will be there to run the convention. It's on Saturday, the 13th of May, 2017. So it's not long. It's coming up. 
and as I said, takes place at the Royal British Legion by Fratton's train station in Portsmouth, UK. Just look up British Legion Portsmouth and it should find the address you on Google Map without any problems. Parking varies. You may have to, you know, you might be able to get a space at the back of the club, but you will have to register your vehicle in order to not get ticketed. Other than that, just see what you can find locally. I mean, there's car parks around the place. You might have to pay a small fee for the day. It is a Saturday after all, but it's no big deal. If you live anywhere local, though, you can easily get a train to Fratton train station and you will literally be within 60 seconds walking distance of the venue. So if you don't want to drive down here, you just want to carry maybe a small rucksack of games, then come along and take the train to Fratton train station and that will be a perfect way to do it. If you want to get some updates on the convention itself, then you can tune into either a meetup.com group, the Portsmouth on board, or you can look at the Facebook group for Portsmouth on board. We will put details up on there as time goes by. And if you check out my blog page on Facebook, then, and maybe I'll put something up on the actual blog, physical blog page as well. You'll see me put some updates for that as well, because we want a lot of you to turn up. It is not just open to Portsmouth on board members. It is a general public opening. We just want you guys to come along and have fun and play board games and let you know we're around. So hope to see a lot of you guys there. I'll probably keep reiterating this in podcasts up until the 13th of May. But like I said, it's going to be fun. We always have a great time each year. It's well run. It's, I believe, cheap entry. Something like £5 will get you entry for the entire day. And then you can do what you like, join in tournaments. And there's even a bar if you want to get yourself a drink. So it's definitely worth coming along, playing some games, you can bring your kids along, that's no problem, it's good for the family, it's good for friends, come along, hopefully see you then. So that's our Portsmouth Onboard Convention, PobCon, May the 13th, hope to see you there. So enough about that convention, let's go on to a different one. And that is the one that took place last weekend called StabCon. Now, you might get confused with another one that runs further up north in the country. I forget exactly. It might be Stockport, but maybe I'm getting confused. And basically, that's a more larger scheme convention. This one is called StabCon South, and it's a smallish convention that takes place in the Jury Inn in Southampton, UK. It's a very small convention. It's basically, we have the floor, first floor of the Jury Inn, and we rent it out and people just come along and bring games. That's literally it. There's no special tournaments. There's no major events as such. Although people can at least book out rooms for games where you want to play something big like Twilight Imperium 3 or some monstrosity 18xx game. Why would you? But, oh well, that's another thing. And it's just generally a nice friendly time. I get to see a lot of my Southampton friends there, a couple of my Portsmouth friends. Some people travel down from a little further afield that I haven't seen in a while. And it's just basically a good social time. You know, you just drive up. Bring your games and play them. There's plenty of tables. There's plenty of uh, wait places to go if you just want to take a break and go for a walk or get some food. Even if you don't, you know, if you don't want to get it at the hotel, then there's plenty of places to walk nearby. And it's generally a good laugh. There's a uh, our friends at Board Game Extras turn up there in order to sell their goods. Um, if you haven't checked out their website, BoardGameExtras.co.uk, I recommend you do. They don't have the biggest selection of games in the world, but they do focus on some classic ones like uh, X-Wing Miniatures, a lot of the LCGs, a lot of gateway games like the Catans, the Carcassones, the Dixits. You know, they've got a very good selection of top quality games. I can't think of anything in their list that... I would consider 
a bad game. I think... Oh, actually, wait a minute. One exception, Paragrid. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's my own personal thing. They stock a lot of Paragrid stuff, and I can't stand Paragrid. That's probably about it. Everything else on their shelves, I would happily play, if not buy, if I haven't already. And if you want accessories, they're very good at stocking up on sleeves, you know, for games. Lots of tokens and things like that, you know, your meeples and your various resource cubes and counters, etc. So they're a very good accessories website and they're pretty good for a lot of gateway games and a lot of the LCG and collectible ones as well. So check them out. But they turn up to Southampton as well. They have a little room. They crowd into there and I literally do mean crowd into there. They don't have a huge space. And sell their wares. They're a good friendly bunch. They're run by a guy called Andrew Wood and his team. Very friendly lot. So check out their website if you haven't already at boardgameextras.co.uk. Boy, I sound like a plugging episode at the moment. What gives? So how did the convention go? Well, it was a success, as it typically is. If you want to get a little bit more detail about how it looks overall, then check out my blog page. Because what I've done for this episode, and what I might do for future convention-related episodes, is I'm trying to practice a bit more with the camera that I'm going to be using for the videos now. I'm trying to sort of go around and take pictures and try to eke around the settings, get an auto setting that will work for me, or just learn how to use the zoom and focus on my Nifty 50 lens a little bit better. So what I've done is that I took a few photos and they will be on the blog page. So when I post the blog link to this podcast, you will not only be able to listen to it from the page, you will also be able to see a small little written section and also a collection of photos of people playing games, the games that I played, the board game extras team, you know, as many of the photos that I thought turned out all right. Not every single one did. I mean, bear in mind, I'm still a noob when it comes to photography. I might book myself on a photography course, actually. I know you can get these ones for, like, you know, photography course for one for a couple of days. I might do that. That might actually do me some good. Not to mention be quite fun. Anyway, I digress. And the convention was good. Went there. Um, you, It runs from a Friday evening all the way until Sunday evening. I don't tend to go on the Friday evening. I tend to sort of think, all right, I've just finished work. just want to go home and have a chill. Then I get a good night's sleep and turn up and play for the entirety of Saturday and Sunday. And that was what I did this time. So the whole weekend, except for Friday night, I was there to play games. And I played a lot of fun games, both ones that I already knew from my collection, and a few new ones that I'd been meaning to get played or just been shown by other players. And that's what the focus of this podcast will be. The convention itself was generally good fun. You know, I recommend that when the next one happens, which is it's uh, twice a year, its next one's going to be in October... I suggest that you have a search on Facebook for StabCon South. Get in touch with uh, Tom Wintrell. He's on Facebook and a good friend of mine. And he will be able to help you with any queries on that. Or failing that, just get in touch with me and I'll be able to put you through as well. But now on to some games that I played. I suspect that's why you're really listening to this podcast. You want to know what games I played and what I think of them. So let's make a start on that front. And this one is going to be... You would not think I would even touch this game. first game that I played was a GMT game called Churchill, Big Free Struggle for Peace, I think that's the full title for it. And yeah, if any of you know this game, you're instantly thinking, what was I thinking playing this game? You may love it to bits, but why would I touch something like this with a barge pole? It's made by GMT, which is not exactly my favourite publisher. It's a historically themed game, not one that I tend to go for. It is politically themed, one I even less like to go for. But... You know, we the idea was that I was going to this convention to be taught how to play brass because of the new Kickstarter coming out. I wanted to find out what all the hype was around. 
Unfortunately, there was a bit of a misunderstanding, and the guy who was going to teach me it didn't realise that I didn't own the game. So nobody brought their copy in. You know, it's, I mean, why would I buy something as big as brass when I don't know if I'll like it or not at that cost in advance? No, no, no. I wanted someone to teach me the game. So unfortunately, brass didn't happen. I'll have to use the app or something. You know, I'll play around with the brass app. I know it's AI. I know it's not quite the same, but it should be enough of a teaching tool to at least get me to realize what the game's all about. So instead, they taught me Churchill. And this was a free player game, so you had the British versus Rush with Russia and America, and it's basically set in the Second World War against Germany and Japan, and you have essentially two parts to it. You've got this conference section, which is basically the free leaders debating in this meeting about what agendas you want to pass. So, you know, do you want to have extra funding? Do you want to have global poli- you know, global, uh, what's the word? Global politics or, Global aspirations or whatever, you know, set in place. Do you want to have uh, specified forces going to various areas of the war? You know, that kind of thing. And that's more of a negotiation and card play section. And then on the other half of the board, you've got this uh, actual war effort, which is basically a bunch of tracks with a lot of text on them. And you have your little sort of forces, your little tokens on there. And on one half of it, you're trying to conquer Germany. and the other half, you're trying to conquer Japan. And each of the leaders has got a different path and a different kind of personal goal that they're going for. I mean, yes, they're all working together to try and stop Germany and Japan, but they they have their own agenda as to how they're going to get points by doing it. Now, it took a long time, not only to play this game, but also to get the rules explained. And this was a slight worry. I did end up with a splitting headache during this game, which didn't help either, but I was... Kind of thinking, oh my god, this is a lot of rules that I'm having to be explained before the game even starts. This was a slight, you know, bad, oh my god, this is going to be one that I enjoy. And then the game did take a long time. We're talking at least three and a bit hours this game took with three of us, you know, and that is too long. It is too long. But it sounds like I'm talking negatively about the whole game. I actually still enjoyed myself. I don't think the game is brilliant, you know, I thought it was okay. I thought it was about average. The main reason that I was getting enjoyment out of it, though, was because of the conference section. I didn't really care too much about the whole war bit and all that, but that just seemed like one glorified admin track, and I'd forgotten half of the bits on it. I didn't like the fact that when you score at the end of the game, it's uh, based on how much spread you have, although we'll get onto that later. And I was more interested in the conference bit, because I love negotiation games. And in here, you had this cool little card play system where basically you had all these leaders... Not that I know who any of them are, because I know nothing about this historical period. Which, you know, sounds a bit weird, because it's called Churchill, and let's face it, he's one of the greatest British leaders of all time. I really should know this stuff, but, you know, history's just not my strong point or interest. And you play these cards of varying strengths to try and get your agendas up on one of your tracks. You know, because one track leads to Churchill, one's to Stalin, and one's to Roosevelt. And you play these cards and it's all about timing, you know, do you lead the uh, debate or do you counter somebody else's, that kind of thing. And there's a bit of negotiation involved. I mean, you can sort of gate, look, don't don't counter this, don't screw this up, we need this, all right? You let me do this, I'll let you do your bit, you know. And that bit was quite fun. Really enjoyed that. So this was the part of the game that gave me that, oh yeah, this is, you know, good start, gonna like this. Problem is, that doesn't take as long as I would like. You know, it's a big part of the game, but a lot of it tends to be that admin phase with the war effort, you know, put the tokens on, 
and then roll some dice to see whether you break through or not, which I never get with GMT games. When you're going to give me this three-hour big strategy game, why do you then put random die rolls that can be really swingy in whether they succeed or not? That doesn't make sense. If you're going to do long strategy games, you don't put luck in that way in it. But, oh well, that's just the way GMT are. They did it with Twilight Struggle and nobody complained about that game, did they? So, it was alright. I I was glad I played it. I enjoyed half the game. Wasn't a fan of the whole war thing and the tracks and all that. And I wasn't a fan of the fact that the game took over three hours for something that really should not have taken more than half the time. And that was only for a medium length game. You can play a short game of this, which is relatively pointless. Uh, you could play the medium game like we did, which still was a little bit annoying that some of the tracks on the war effort turned out to be completely wasted. It's like, there's no point of Britain going all the way to Formosa in a medium game because, it, you know, you only had five turns. And you only had five tu- you needed five turns to get to the end, and even then that was based on die rolls. So most people didn't care. And that just seemed a bit weird. You know, why do you waste part of the board just because the scenario says so? And then the long game has the full 10 turns and the full, like, map is worth it. So I'm sure that's the proper way to play this game, but I'm sorry. If this game took three hours with a medium game, you are not going to sit me down in front of this to play the long game for, like, five or six hours. It's just not going to happen, ever. So it was all right. I thought part of the game was good. Car playing, conference and negotiation fun. War effort and tracks and the scoring system at the end, which basically, if you win by too many points, you lose and the person in second place wins, which, okay, I can get thematically why it's in there. And to be fair, this game is pretty thematic, but that, I just kind of forgot about that. I mean, you know, I was more trying to learn the game and when it got to two and a, two and a bit hours, I was kind of like, all right, can we hurry up and finish this? You know, I want to play other games. And I, I mean, I dominated on victory points, you know, I was just doing so well. But because of that weird rule, I lost and America wins by coming second. It's just, I don't, it's weird. I mean, it works thematically. I don't think it works mechanically. Because, I mean, it's like I practically soloed the Germany war by myself apart from the last turn. And yet, you don't get rewarded for it. You actually lose for it. It's just, I don't know. It seemed a little bit, uh, mechanically, I wasn't a fan. But to be honest, I was just, like, happy that I'd managed to get so many victory points. I mean, if I wanted to play it properly in the long game, I'd bear that in mind a bit more. But, yeah, I mean, it was okay. I see why it's there. It's just, it was a personal, eh, you know, a personal sort of downer on the end of the game. So, it's okay. I rank it about a five. I call it okay. I don't love it, but I didn't hate it either. There's parts, I wish I could just make the whole game that political phase. That's what I want. Because it's probably one of the reasons I like Founding Fathers. If you see my exceptions to the rule, you'll know that I like a historical politically themed game about the American Constitution. Why? You know, that is a weird game for me to suddenly like, but I love it because of the whole card play system and how it's constantly back and forth and tactical with the debates and the voting and such. This one got me with that similar card play, although it's a bit more simplified in this, and, you know, the whole agendas and I want this to go through, but I'll let you get that through. That bit I find fun. Just don't like all the admin stuff to go with it. It's just not for me. Not a big war history fan. It's not my style. It's not my theme. So if you like this sort of game, I reckon you should check it out because I reckon you'll get a good kick out of it. But remember, 
Some of it is the historical theme and the war, which because I know nothing about it, I get nothing from it. You know, you can give me an event card that basically screws me over. I won't know why it does, it just does. You know, because I don't know the history. But that conferencing bit, that's my favourite aspect. And if that sounds up your street, you'll probably get a kick out of this as well. So Churchill, one of the biggest and longest games i played, the whole convention by GMT, it's okay. So around something as heavy as Churchill, there was a few lighter Euro games to be played and some big classics involved like Seven Wonders with some of the expansions, Mission Red Planet, which I always enjoy teaching. That is one of my favourite games of all time. I think it squeaked onto my top 10 last year. Great with the Fantasy Flight reprint and also a good chance to play little nice fillers like King of Tokyo and stuff like that. But the next new game I want to mention is Article 27. Now this one won't take me too long to explain because it's quite a short game. But I've been wanting to check this one out for a while because it sort of arrived and then no one really talks about it or even mentions it. It's this really light negotiation game where each of you is effectively involved on the UN or something similar anyway. And you have a bunch of... You have these tokens on different colours. I mean, the, the theme is pretty much non-existent. It's pretty much colour tokens. And each round, you are negotiating with all the other players, with one person in charge, with this cool wooden gavel. It's quite a nice little component. And the idea is, is that you have a secret goal that you want certain tokens to get through for most points. And each round, these other tokens are dished out that match all the colours, and you put them in front of you behind this really bad shield. <laughs> it really is bad. And the tokens will be placed on your board, and depending where they go, it, they will give you positive or negative points for them going through in this particular voting round. So everybody's got their own secret like group of these tokens, and you don't know what they've got. It's all hidden. So the tokens are placed out. The person in charge says, you know what, I'd like red and blue to go through. And people will discuss and say, well, hang on, I want black in. Hey, you ain't even black in, I don't want that. No, you can keep yellow, but I want blue. You know, and, and if you put red, I'm vetoing this whole thing. Because everybody has to agree at the end of the round, otherwise none of it goes through. So you have to try and please everyone to some extent. But of course, you're trying to get the most points, you're trying to get the most points over various rounds, and you also want your secret gold tokens to go through, because that gets you more bonus points. You can offer bribes to people in points, you know, you can do all sorts. And it's quite a nice little fun negotiation game. Now, it's not perfect. It's relatively short, which I quite like. It goes between 30 to 60 minutes. It is a good short game. It's a nice light negotiation game, because pretty much all you're doing is trying to get colour tokens through. There's nothing particularly, you know, massively tactical about it. There's certainly nothing particularly complex that you have to learn, so it's very light. And other than those horrible shields, it's fairly well produced. You've got a nice colourful board, the tokens are nice big chunky wooden colour ones, you know, it looks bright and cheerful. And, to be fair, having this wooden gavel component for like, you know, are we ready? Ready? And gunk! You know, it's just really cool. Because essentially you have to do it on a timer. You only have so long to negotiate, and that gavel is like the dunk! You know, we're, we're doing this now. This is how we're doing it, no more discussion. It's a good laugh. But there is one problem with this game. And... There's two reasons why I think this one doesn't get a lot of buzz. One, I don't think it actually got a lot of actual publicity. I don't think many people really heard of this, because let's face it, you don't really see it around apart from on clearance sales, do you? And the other problem is those counters I mentioned. 
I said that you put five of these behind your shield and they give you positive or negative points. The idea is, is that everybody has to be trusted to put them on in the order that they flip them. And the points range from plus five, plus three, plus one, minus two, minus four. But you don't know what these tokens are going to be placed at, so it's completely random. You draw them out of a bag. And you may just get a time when you draw some tokens, that means nothing that you do will get much in the way of points. Or you may draw something that means not only do blues give me so many points it's unreal, but it's also because it's got the symbol on it on the middle of the table, it's like, oh, it's going to be bonus points later. So all you have to do is just convince people to let a blue through and you just get a load of points. But you might have times where things conflict. You know, it's like, I need to get that through for bonus points, but if I do, I get negative points because of this. And that is a slight bit of a letdown. Now, if the game was longer, I'd have more of a problem with it. But the fact that it's relatively short, between 30 to 60 minutes, I don't mind that too much. Luck in the short game is okay, and you do have a bit of fun with the negotiation from. So, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. You know, I'd give it about a 7. A 6 or a 7. I think it's good fun to play every now and again. There are negotiation games I would rather play. I would certainly rather play something a bit more, maybe a bit more roleplay fun-like, like, you know, Sheriff of Nottingham or Cosmic Encounter. But then I like a lot of the more heavier negotiation games like New Angeles recently, for example. But sometimes you don't have a lot of time. You want six-player game, which is not easy to find. And you just want something a bit light that involves you actually interacting with your fellow gamers. And so Architectural 27 fits that bill quite nicely. It's not one that I'll go out and buy, but a good friend of mine has it from the Southampton Club, and you know what? If they bring it out, I'll be keen to play it every now and again. So, Article 27. Okay, this next one is a Dirk Hen design, a fairly famous one, all the way back from 2006. But the only reason I've got it now is because I backed the Queen Kickstarter for the big box edition of Shogun. And this will probably be the last time I back anything on from Queen on Kickstarter. I'm sorry, but Queen, you need to shape up with your Kickstarter projects because you, you kind of run it as a bit of a shambles, really. But anyway, that's a different topic entirely. So Shogun is essentially a reimplementation of a game called Wallenstein. It's almost a bit like Risk in that you're conquering territories on the board to get more points. But it's not, you're not rolling dice. The idea is, is that you have 10 potential actions that you do in a round and you have to select which provinces you have are going to do those actions. And 10 sounds like a lot, but they're pretty similar. Three of them are buildings, three of them are deploying armies, two of them are collecting stuff. You know, they're pretty similar and straightforward. But as you move your armies across the various provinces to conquer other people or neutral territories, you have this cube tower to drop your cubes in that represent your forces. Now, because I got the big box version of this, I've got a more souped up version of this, where instead of cubes, you have these little mini meeples. So much nicer to look at than cubes. But again, they function the same way. You drop them in the tower and some get stuck in there and some others will get dislodged. And basically, you chuck them in and different ones come out. This is the same mechanic that is used in Amerigo. And avid listeners and very, you know, astute ones at that will remember that Amerigo is the only Stefan Feld game I like. Yes, there is no other Feld game I like. I don't like Burgundy, don't like Aquasphere, don't like Notre Dame, despise in the Year of the Dragon, don't like Bruges. You know, I just wasn't a big fan of Trajan, but I don't mind it. You know, I don't like Feld as a, <laughs> in terms of his designs, not Feld as a person. You know what I mean? But Amerigo is the one that I do like. Sort of. That's seven, I'd give it. 
And that's because of that cube tower. Because I like the idea that the actions in that game are defined by what drops out of that tower at the start of a turn. I really like that. Shogun has a similar thing. When you resolve combat, you drop the armies into the tower, and as some of them come out, you basically calculate losses, which is basically how many of yours and how many of mine are in there, and then whoever has any left over is the winner of the actual combat, and they go into the province. It means that typically when you invade somewhere, you're going to lose a lot of your men in the process, but you will at least get the territory. It does make you a little bit weak to retaliation, though. And the game itself was generally alright. I had to teach it from essentially only reading the rules, I hadn't played it before, and there was a lot of pieces around. The, the insert is good and not. Everything stores in that box really nicely. Getting it out of the box, though, is an absolute pain. Seriously, if you have any of the big box queen games, bag up the items. I know the insert is, like, you know, good and holds everything loose, but bag everything up and then put them in the insert. Because trust me, I don't have big fingers, and nor do a lot of my friends. But trying to get the meeples out of those inserts with even my fingers was absolutely painful. You are constantly there scraping for these things because the insert is not wide enough to let your fingers in. And if you're one of these people with really big fat fingers, you are going to basically tear this insert in half trying to get everything out. So there's a forewarning at that point. But the game itself was generally quite cool. You have to plan out what you're going to do in a round. You're thinking, hmm, will they, are they going to attack me from there? Are they just going to build there? Because when you plan your actions, it's all done in secret. So you don't know what everyone's trying to do. But you've got that little bit of strategy of what do I need to do? What do I think he's going to do? You know, and really cool stuff like that. And the cube tower is fun. It's... You know, played over several rounds and you get to do this multiple times, you get a lot of stuff happening, and then eventually you total up the victory points. There are, however, a few flaws with this game. Now I would rank it about a 6 or a 7 again, probably more towards a 7, because I do like the cube tower thing. However, here's the problems with this game, and this is what I think is actually making me prefer Amerigo now that I think harder about it. Amerigo is more of a tactical game. Because at the start of each round, you drop everything in, and then that's the time, that determines the actions you can do. So, yes, you might not get the action you want, but you have to react to what comes out of that tower. And so does everybody else. The problems that Shogun has. Firstly, it's quite long. You are talking about a two-hour, two-and-a-half-hour game of this, particularly if you've got four players. Two players, maybe less, but three or four, you're talking two to two-and-a-half hours, because it takes a long time for people to plan out ten actions. And then you've got to resolve all those 10 actions. And then you've got to do this at least six times in the game. And you've got to have the scoring rounds, which involve a fair bit of maths and, you know, a few extra combats and stuff like that. So this game can take a long time. And that's not even including teaching the rules, which, yes, teaching the rules counts, people, and setting up the game, which, again, counts. So you are talking a long game. Now, long games, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of really long games, as long as you're engaged throughout. Here you're sort of engaged, but there can be a bit of downtime with waiting for people to hurry up and plan their actions, because you might have planned all yours out, and then you've got to sit around while the AP person over there, or the new player, is there, and they barely put half their cards down, and it's like... You can't really do anything while you wait. So, you know, you are not always engaged. But there's the other thing. The cube tower. The cube tower is fun. 
I love it. I love chucking things into it. I love seeing what comes out. It's just a fun way to replace dice. The problem is, is that this is used for combat. Now, you might have come up with a decent strategy. You might have played flawlessly in your choices, and you might have been very efficient. Then, you need to get this territory in order to get the most points or be the, have the most buildings for a particular type. So you go after this territory. You have the advantage. You have more people than they do. You drop your stuff in the tower, and stuff comes out that means you lose the battle. You have no control over that. That is pure probability. It is pure luck. What comes out of that tower, you cannot influence. And it's not like you can have a, you know, photographic memory and know exactly what stuff is in that tower because you can't look directly down into it. It's very luck-based in that respect. Now, in a short game, I wouldn't have a problem with this. But in a two and a half hour plus game, introducing that amount of luck in very key parts of the game, i.e. did you win this territory or not, which could swing points massively, is a little bit too much luck at the wrong time. It can be a sour spoiler for people, as I know it did in the game we played, where somebody had just bad luck. You know, they either didn't get good in the turn order, or when they were supposed to win a battle, they dropped the stuff in, and for whatever reason, they didn't. And it can mess you over. Yes, you kind of have to anticipate that, but what if somebody else doesn't have this problem? They instantly have the advantage. And also, new players won't necessarily know the best way to do their actions, or who they should be gunning for. One person ran away with the lead, because no matter how much I told the other players to actually go after them, they just kept squabbling themselves and doing their own thing. It's like, well, I can't take this guy out by myself and do my own thing. And it's kind of a little bit weird. It probably favours people who have played the game multiple times rather than new players. And this is another put-off with me. I've got to deal with a long game, an insert, which is not the easiest thing to get things out of, lengthy rules to explain. It's dry. You know, yes, it's set in Japan and that, but it's not really a thematic game when you think about it. I doubt I'll use any of the mini expansions because it's just more rules to explain. It's long, I already said, and it's quite lucky in a lot of respects. Yes, there's some elements of strategy, but that cube tower can mess you over and you don't have the control to do much more than, say, mitigate the probabilities of it. It's different from Amerigo where everyone has to deal with that, what actions are available. You know, everyone can get something out of it. But for you to just have your one thing messed over because that tower just did not like you is a little bit much to bear. So I don't know if I'm going to be hanging on to this. It may be one that I'll stick on the Expo trade stool when it comes up at the end of, uh, sorry, at the start of June. Um, I'll have to give it a one or two more games to see, but at the moment, even though I kind of enjoyed it, you know, six or seven, I don't know if it's one I'm going to be able to keep. So that is Shogun from Dirk Hen and Queen Games. Okay, a couple more games just to wrap up. Uh, first one I'll just talk about quickly. I got to play another cool five-player game of Caverna. Really love Caverna. It's a great one to get out, especially with my friend Justin, who loves this game and just gets into it, role-plays it, you know, has a great laugh. He's a great person to play games with, I think, actually, because, you know, he just gets into the theme. He role-plays it. He just has a barrel of laughs. It's like watching a little kid again, you know, a kid in an adult's body. It's just really cool. But I had a similar experience, I was getting into it, role-playing it, and I tried a really weird tactic of never going outside, ever. I used a writing chamber to 
make up for negating points, but I basically set up a massive mining colony inside my cave and never went outside. Yes, it was not the most optimal way to play the game points-wise, but I don't care about winning the game in Caverna. Some people are just obsessed with, I must win this game, otherwise it's not enjoyable, and I must min-max every points I can get. No, I just want to enjoy the game. If I want to win Caverna, I can play well and probably win it. I don't know the most optimal strategy ever, but I certainly know what I should probably avoid and what I should do when doing any particular strategy. But I like going for thematic ones. I like going for these weird ideas. And this time I said I was never going outside. Ever at all. I, apart from adventuring, which technically you could argue is going outside, but I like to say that I went adventuring in the caves. But I never made any farms, never made any uh, stables or anything like that. I just had donkeys. I had one pair of animals in my room, a couple of extra dwarfs, and a bunch of mines. It was funny as anything to see my place do, you know, the weirdest form of that. And feeding basically had to come from adventuring, uh, finding little bits of food in the caves, and using the working cave to feed my kid uh, ore and stone and wood for basically the whole game. What a lovely dwarven diet. But it was a good laugh, and I still came second out of five people. That's pretty impressive. You know, out of five people to come second with a really weird strategy. Of course, Justin won it because he was playing optimally. But, you know, I still had a good time. So that was a good fun game of Caverna. But the next one that I want to talk about more in detail is Crisis. Crisis is an economic game from Ludi Creations. And economic games you'd think I wouldn't go anywhere near. And to be fair... When I got asked to playtest this last year at the UK Games Expo with, you know, some of the people from Ludi Creations, so I've met the person who runs the company, he's a good laugh, and I was, uh, you know, thinking, oh god, it's an economic game, am I going to like this? I don't normally go for this sort of thing, but I gave it a shot anyway, because the theme sounded a bit more interesting. Because you are investing in these companies, and you're getting employees to power these companies, produce resources, and export them. Okay, standard economic front there. But it takes place in this uh, made-up world called Axia. And Axia is on the verge of bankruptcy. And the idea is, is that the game could end in two ways. It can either last all through the, till the end of the game, in which case, great, you kept Axia going. Or, if Axia goes bankrupt, you don't count points for money and the game ends immediately. So it's just whoever's in the lead at the time. So you've got this added little bit of tension there. And that theme carries over quite well, because you're sort of thinking... Right, well, do I need the game to go much longer, or am I okay with just holding back and letting it tank a bit? Now, typically, you know, you know whether you're in front, you know, you know, if you're in front in the lead, you don't mind if the place tanks, but if you're at the back, you kind of need it to go forward. And the way it's determined as to whether it goes bankrupt or not is that every round there is a victory point goal. And depending on how high above or below that goal all the other players are, determines how far down this track Axia's like status level goes, green, yellow, and red. And depending what level you're in, these different events come out that make life worse and also and make certain things cheaper. It's quite cool. But typically you're basically going through and it's worker placement. You invest in companies, you know, factories and resorts and banks, get employees to power them, produce resources, make money, victory points, the usual economic front. This one I actually still quite like, though, and I still keep. It's There's something about it. Firstly, looks very pretty. For Ludi Creations, this is pretty good component quality. Good solid wooden meeples, good colours, good, uh, you know, good clear board, you know, very nicely done. Even though I do think that the fact that they call their companies Bank 01 and Farm 04 and stuff like that is a bit lame. 
Seriously, you couldn't come up with some better names for these companies. You had to go with just generic Farm Zero Two. I don't know. There was their choice. I did ask them about this, and it was what they wanted to do. But personally, I would have liked some names. But it's a worker placement game, and it functions in a similar way to Pillars of the Earth. Pillars of the Earth has a worker placement mechanic where you place your workers out, and then everything resolves in a certain order. Well, this one is the same thing. You put your workers out, and then in a specified order, it resolves all the actions. So, do all this, do all the employees, do all the imports, do all the production, do all the exports. And basically, you're trying to be efficient, you're trying to get money, and obviously have the most victory points at the end of the game, and try and keep Axia in good stead. This is a good, fun economic game. Probably my go-to choice for an economic game right now. It just seems it's not that long. I mean, 90 minutes to 2 hours max, you know, that's an acceptable length. The maths that you do in it is not complicated. You know, it's not like power grid levels where everything is all in the hundreds and everything. No, it's fairly simple maths. You know, you still got to be efficient. you still got to plan and be strategic. But, you know, the money situation is like, oh yeah, I need that for that, that for that. And that will do. Okay, right, good, we're good. You know, and you don't have to be their AP and like crazy for it. The workers, you've got uh, four, maximum five workers to place out. So it's not like that takes very long. And everything just sort of follows very smoothly in a kind of logical fashion. Are there any problems with it? Sort of. The You can pick up these cards which give you bonuses. They can be quite swingy. You know, you might just get something for free that's like really great, you know. And then another one might be, oh, that does that and that's not that important. It's kind of like the similar problem that Viticulture had before Tuscany came and completely solved it. I think those cards can be a little bit swingy. Um, other than that, though, the game itself is a good laugh. You know, the difficulty setting can be tweaked, and I suppose that's one other slight flaw I have with it, because you can tweak it to be easy, medium, or hard. And on easy mode, you might as well not even care about Axia, because it will never go bankrupt on easy mode. And that kind of ruins it a little bit, because you want to have that tension. On medium mode, there's a chance it will tank. It usually be, it usually ends up that you'll start off bad, and then get to a point, and then when everybody's engine starts rolling, Axia is now in safe hands, you don't have to worry about it. But there is that chance it could tank. Hard mode, oh my god, you have to work hard to keep Axia in check, otherwise it's going to end. I actually think hard mode is the best way to play it, though. Because on medium mode, you get to a point where Axia is pretty comfortable. Whereas in hard mode, it is tense throughout. And you never know when the game is likely to end. And that is a really good way to play it. Yes, there's a good chance it will tank. And you will probably tank more than you will actually finish it. But then at that point, the game took less time to play. And you still enjoyed it. So that's not necessarily a bad thing as well. You know, if a game takes less time than expected, I'll go with that. As long as it didn't finish within 10 minutes, that's not necessarily a problem. So this one I still quite like. It's not... Like a massively favourite game in my collection, I think I rank it a 7. You know, a solid 7, so no question of it being a 6, this is a solid, good game. I don't think it's great, but I do think it's good, and it is on my shelf, so this is my go-to economic game. Will there be any expansions for it? We don't know, I very much doubt it, but on its own, it's still a pretty solid economic game. So, if you haven't seen it already, it's not the easiest one to find in shop shelves, but look up Ludi Creations and look up the name Crisis. It's a cool little economic game if you want something a little bit simpler than some of the heavier ones, and like a bit of worker placement to go with it, but also want a theme that carries over quite strongly in how the game operates. That's Crisis.
that'll do, I think. I think I'll wrap up there. That's plenty enough games talked about. StabCon, like I say, was a good success. It's good fun. It takes place every April and October of a calendar year in Southampton. So I urge you to look it up on Facebook, look it up on convention listings, the Queen's newsletter, all that sort of thing, and come along to one of the weekends. It's cheap. It's like £10 will get you in the entire weekend, and then you can do what you like. It's complete freedom. It's a great one, particularly if you want to play a lot of those really long epic games. And I'm not just talking the dry Euros and the 18xxs. I'm talking the big long, you know, Amerifrash games like, uh, you know, Twilight Imperium 3 and Talisman and stuff like that. If you want to play long games, it's a perfect chance to do that because you will find players easily for whatever it is you want to play. Other than that, just turn up, play games. I'll be there and so will other people. So it is a great time. And to be fair, I just like going to conventions anyway. I mean, StabCon was good fun. We've got a PopCon one that I mentioned before. I'll be at the UK Games Expo. I'll probably be at Essen this year. I don't know what other conventions I'll be at, really. Uh, I'm possibly Manicon? I don't know. It's quite close to my brother's wedding. I'll have to think about that one. But probably not MidCon. Um, I'll try to go to SawCon uh, next February. I missed it this year. I'll try to go again next year in February. Oh, and of course, HandyCon. HandyCon that I did back in January. They will be uh, doing another one in August. So I will be going to that one as well. There's plenty of conventions to keep me busy during the calendar year. And that's not including weekends where people just say, let's go off and play games. In fact, I've got a week, uh, week coming up in May, just shortly before PubCon actually, where a group of us are going to go down to Devon, find a house, you know, just buy out for the week, rent out, sorry, and play games and sightsee. It's something I used to do with a bunch of friends from college, like every year since I was 17. We used to rent out a place for a week and go sightseeing. I've visited so many places around the UK and Ireland and Scotland as a result, even the Isle of Wight, and it was great fun. But, of course, they only played so many games. They all had kids, which, you know, I'm not a big kid person, and... I've stopped going with that group now because it felt more like a nursery day than it did an actual holiday. Well, in this case, it's just going to be a bunch of us from the Southampton Gaming Group. No kids, just big house, pool table, whatever food and drink we want. All of sunny Devon around Dawlish and Torquay and that to explore, which, you know, back to the West Country, my neck of the woods where I just feel a bit more at home. You know, I like being around Portsmouth. I like being around, you know, the south end of the coast, but... You know what? It's nice to go back to the West Country every now and again, you know, where my accent doesn't stick out quite so much like a sore thumb. Because so many people comment about my accent on this podcast, it's ridiculous, and I don't blame you. It's my accent, it's never going to go away. It's like one of my defining features, shall we say, the farmer talking about board games. Anyway, that's it for me, I better get on with editing this, because I want to go to the gym later and enjoy more of my Easter Friday. So, that's it for me. Take care, enjoy your four-day weekend, those of you who have a long Easter, and remember, it's only a game. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about The Broken Meeple, there are various sources for you to choose from. You can check out the written review blog at brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can find me on Facebook at The Broken Meeple. You can find me also on Twitter at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, Hampshire, you can come to one of our board gaming clubs. Search for Portsmouth on board on meetup.com or Facebook and check out our pages. Also, check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple and pledge 
anything you can to help me get back into video and improve this experience for you. Thanks for listening, take care, enjoy playing games, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like rolling dice and taking names, or the Party Gamecast featuring the Party Gamecast. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.